Welcome to Q&A, the podcast series of conversations recorded with artists in the Cadditch and Morrissey Galleries at St. Ambrose University. Brett Eberhardt is an associate professor of painting at Western Illinois University. His exhibition of paintings in the Cadditch Gallery was titled Remnants and Relics. In September of 2015, we discussed with him the process of painting from observation. Welcome to St. Ambrose Art Department Podcast. Uh, we have with us today Brett Eberhardt from Western Illinois University, professor of art in Macomb. And his show, Remnants and Relics, opened last week. We've invited Brett here to discuss the paintings. So as we were hanging the show, we started to question whether you were working from observation or not. Like There are moments that are so beyond just the typical observational painting, or sometimes they suggest a lens-like activity or distortion or vertigo, that I started to wonder, could there be a mediation involved? And so I, I, I pose it to you, would you mind describing some of the basics of your process? Uh, they're all from direct observation. I usually start off with a pencil drawing, you know, on the gessoed surface, and the distortion you're talking about is from me looking, you know, it starts like, usually I have a plumb bob in the center, where I know the center is going to be. And when I'm looking at the center, what seems like a horizontal line is horizontal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as I'm working, as I'm drawing, mm -hmm. I look away from the center. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and when I look away from the center, that horizontal line is no longer horizontal, mm -hmm. because now it's got a slight angle to it, because I'm looking at it at an angle. Mm -hmm. And that's where that kind of I think it's still kind of slight curvilinear distortion, mm -hmm. perspective distortion comes in. Um, is it more prevalent in the larger work? I think so because there's just, it's, you know, the paintings are bigger, everything is actual size. Because I'm up quite close on it, when I'm doing a larger painting, there's more distortion because I'm looking more to the left or right or up and down, um, you know, get the whole image. So to record the whole image. Yeah, well, I don't know about intentionally uh, exaggerate. I always try to guess right on the mark. I mean, that's a big thing when I'm when I'm working. Yeah, I do my best to figure it out. Like, what? How much? This one how in particular has a real obvious swoop, yeah. swoop to the bottom of it. Yeah. So that's because you're standing above it and you're right. I'm standing above it and I'm centered. I get myself centered because I I you know hang a plug bump right in the middle. And then when I uh, am drawing everything in the middle, everything that is horizontal looks horizontal, is horizontal. But as I start to draw things to the, let's say, the right, especially because I'm, it's really distorted there, with bottom molding, because not only am I looking to the right, but I'm looking down. And so there's that one point, my perspective shifts from when I'm looking, you know, at eye level, it's straight across. But as I start to look down and look at the wheels of that cart, everything starts to converge down to a point, right? And then when I start to look to the right, that conversion is still happening. And, you know, because I'm looking to the right, that horizontal isn't horizontal anymore. It starts to, you know, it's like a bubble. I mean, if you look at it, you know, when I look up, every the horizontals go like this. And when I look down, the horizontals go like this. 
I'm aware of it now. I wasn't always aware of it. And maybe because I'm aware of it, there might be some exaggeration, but I wouldn't say it's intentional. So when you stand back and look at it and you see that it's curving, at that point you just go with what's happening. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a time when I would ignore that and I would say I'm not observing as well as I am now. You know, I'm not noticing that, like, instead there's a knowledge of that's horizontal that I would tend to stick with. Like, I know that's horizontal, and I would just take that as a given and not pay attention to my perception. You know, but as I've gotten and dived deeper into this, I've become more aware perceptually of what's actually happening and then it responding gives, to those it things. It definitely gives it a more interesting quality, whereas if you were using a photographic projection, you know, it wouldn't have that sort of mysterious quality. Yeah, I mean, you would have a distortion of whatever camera you used, you know, whatever lens you used. Um, and there's different distortions. I mean, some of them have a similar distortion in this, but others are the, the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and that's, that's the thing is, I'm, I'm interested in my visual perceptions distortion and not the mechanical reproduction, like say of a camera or something like that. And there's other things involved in about sharing the space with something and you know, working from direct observation. Do you work up from Grisai or uh, and then do other No, I go right at it. I go right at it and um, I try to develop it as close as I can from the start. And, and it's sort of like, you know, it's changed over the years, but where I'm at now is I try to get it as close as possible that first pass. Like as close as I can get it. And, you know, there might be, there'll be multiple passes then, but um, no grisai. I used to always start with a grisai. It's a great tool to sort of get a value structure in there that will help you as you develop the painting. But what I found is, is that brown just, it's stubborn. And if you're really concerned with color, that brown is just, it's gonna want to be a, a part of things. It's not gonna go away. You know, and I'm not an extremely thick painter, you know, which is something I'm, I want because of the kind of image I'm trying to develop. And so, like, I think you could overcome the grisaille if you were really thick. Like you, can, like it. <laughs> you can have whatever you want under there, and if you're thick enough, you could push it back and it'll go away. But you know, if, if you're painting um, not so thickly, like it just wants to bubble up all the time. By bubbling up, it's just like you know, you, you paint it and it looks fresh. You've got the saturation you want, you've got the value you want. You go home, you go to bed, you come back the next day to the studio, and it's like, what happened? <laughs> it's the grisaille, that's what's happened. It's under there, and it doesn't want to go away. You're still teaching in 68 and early 70s. I still teach it. I, I teach it. It's a great way because, you know, like one of the, the biggest thing for my students, I think, is the, the value is the tough thing for them. They, you know, they can't get a hold of value structure in the painting. You know, it's, it's all usually, there's not enough darks, not enough lights, the contrast isn't there. So the grisaille is one way for them to become aware of it. But then you building a painting on top of that can be problematic. Grisaille is like a burnt umber uh, sort of transparent wash to start a painting. Like you could just go over the whole painting in like a, a, a brown and then pull the lights and you know like use a brush to put more brown on the darks and develop it all in a, in a like sepia tone, brown scale tone. Set, set the value. You know. Yeah, and that, we still use that too, you know, especially with the grisaille. I mean, because then you can see where the lights are, where the darks are more easily, however complex the image might be. 
And I, for anyone who doesn't know what a plumb bob is, not, maybe you're all aware, but just, just to be sure, the plumb bob is a weighted string. So it gives you true vertical. Yeah, it's, it's used in construction a lot. Um, but it's, it's like, I, you know, sometimes I can't use it. I'm in an environment or a situation where I can't use the plumb bob. And I really realize how much of a crutch it is when I don't have it. Because mm -hmm. for me, it's like, it's the one thing I've got to relate everything to. Mm -hmm. it's, I'm always coming back and relating it. I know that true vertical, right? And even though the table's sitting on the floor, and you think it's horizontal, well, the table's not built very well. The floor is definitely not a level. So if you're really perceiving and using that plumb bob, you'll see just how out of whack it is. And I'm all about recording that. So I mean, where do you hang the plumb bob? In front of your subject? Well, from the ceiling, right in front of the subject. How far, how do you determine how far out from the subject to hang it? Not far. I mean, just barely, almost, it, I don't want it to touch it. Um, but the closest thing to me, you know, like have it just almost, you know, just a little bit away from it. You won't have any children. No. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, I mean, I haven't done it yet, but I've, I've been thinking, you know, for bigger paintings, um, more than one plumb bump. You know, because as you get out, it would be great to have that straight vertical to compare how distorted everything is getting as you start to look out. I think that's really interesting that, you know, you're talking about observation in its most concentrated human form, and it takes me to the machine, and in fact it is the human machine. You're talking about yeah. the lens of the eyeball then. And I then, mean, that's the biggest kick for me, uh, one of them in painting these, is that, you know, I'm translating these things through my brain. Yeah. And then you know, recreating them with this material, which to me is, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really important that it's not, you know, photo-based, that I'm not referencing photos, because then it's like, it, for lots of other reasons. Sure. I mean, that's just one of the reasons, but sure. I love the fact that I'm, I'm in the space with the thing, which is the original impulse to even do the painting. There's something about this thing that, you know, has drawn me to it. So I'm sharing this time and space with this thing, now painting it, and I'm translating it through my brain, through my eyes, and it's, you know, and it's, I'm making it. Yeah, and it, it depends, like, you know, I always try to get it to where I could see the subject and my painting without having to turn too much, but sometimes it's not an option. You know, that was a big painting and I couldn't get it in front of, anywhere near it, so it almost had to be 90 degrees off of it. Um, otherwise, I'd be blocking parts of it and affecting shadows and all of that. So I had to be a little bit away and then you know, 90 degrees, so I did have to turn, turn a lot. Seems to me that you've developed a list of translation choices. Are there, could you describe some of those? Like, what are the things? Mean like rules or something? Rules, yeah. You have yeah, rules, rules, rules for this translation. And it seems yeah. like you've really honed it. There are, there are things that you include that you're observing, and there are things that you probably summarize, and then there are probably things that you discard. Yeah. I mean, my wife would talk about edges, you know, like how important edges are. And maybe made me aware of them before I was to the degree that I am now. You know, and it's just an example, one example of what you're talking about. But mm -hmm. knowing when, like before talking about that horizontal top, you know, just taking for granted it's horizontal and not mm -hmm. dealing with the distortion. So you're relying on your knowledge of the world versus your perception of the world. So, you know, like 
if you're looking back where the, the top of the table meets the wall, it's not butted up right against it. That edge is completely diffused. It's like it's not a hard edge. And, you know, like the answers for me are in the perception. Mm -hmm. You know, I try not to get involved in the bag of tricks that people try to, it's based on knowledge. Because I find you get trapped in the same thing as sure. knowing that that table is horizontal and flat, sure. even though it's on an uneven surface and the table itself isn't square or whatever it might right. be. Right, right. So the rules, the rules for me are look. Right. Look at what it what it's like, and um, and try to get underneath that versus inventing anything. I mean, so, when we start when we start talking about like super small text that I can't make out, you know, on something, mm -hmm. um, I still try to go after it. <laughs> but I, there's I also know that I can't do it the way the text is on the object itself. That there's there's going to be a translation in, through paint, and that I have to. Um, not force it, otherwise it's going to look awful. Yeah, yeah. Totally right. artificial. Right. Text right. doesn't belong on the object, let alone the painting. Right. And so there is this, like, you work it until it's like, it's part of the painting, it's it's where it should be in the painting, and it's, it's you know, you feel good about it. Yeah. But yeah. there's also this thing behind you pushing you further. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not level? doing it right now, something is wrong with it, and you keep working at it. Could, would there be... Uh, an example in here of a place where it, we've talked about the distortion where you're, you've now accepted the distortion you acknowledge that you're perceiving it you're not you know pushing it away you're, you're yeah. letting it happen and you're expressing it in the painting are there other types of moments within these paintings that maybe you could point to since we're in the room with them and say this is a moment where in the past I would have uh, made a hard edge on the back of this table because I knew it was an edge but now I see that there's this Subtle blur, or um, you know, one thing uh, you know, I can point out a number of the paintings that over time has, has happened is uh, you know, I, I'll paint as hard, you know, as accurately as I can, you know, really going after what I'm seeing again, no grisaille, like just straight, try to get it as close as possible to that first pass. Now, end painting that day and feel you know, mixed. About what I've done, and so I, you know, I think initially out of frustration, maybe thinking of starting over, I've started to destroy that image a little bit, um, and leave it, and come back in the next day, and it gives me like a way to enter it. It creates new things that are like the world that I'm interested in and am painting that I couldn't have done by myself. You know, by destroying, I mean like grabbing a piece of foam core or something and slapping it down on the surface and then dragging it, picking it up, moving it, slapping it down again, and just try to get something. I mean, I'm not happy with it. So I, I think I've got nothing to lose by doing that. And I think in that initial impulse, I was thinking destroying it or just, you know, what have I got to lose here? I found things in that activity by moving that paint around in ways I might not have that uh, is more true to what I'm trying to, you know, um, translate. And so I often paint a lot of that out, but some of it stays. Hmm. Um, and there are things there are things that you know aren't necessarily they're not straightforward like a lot of the other painting activity is, but at this point in time, it's become crucial to what I'm doing because it, it creates things that I, I don't necessarily do 
with a brush hmm. on my own. Um, like you can see the studio corner there, the blue on the pasteboard, yeah. and how it's sort of like trickled out onto the floor. That's an example of that. That's what I was wondering. That's where I would, I, I was thinking of some of the floor uh, yeah. and walls when you were describing that process. You know, the new painting, uh, painting cart, <coughs> the floor is littered with that activity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You might not see it so much because I had to go back in to paint the cart yeah. because it just got you know, taken over by that. Even though that's accidental sort of process that I've you know, purposely sort of inflicted on the painting, I'm still editing after that. It isn't a, it's, it's something that gives me certain things I like and leave, but then I'm, I'm taking things out that I don't like, that I don't think would be constructive for me at all. That's a great advantage of royalty. Yeah, it is. Um, definitely. Because you can still move it around at the end of the day, and maybe even, you know, the next day. Mm -hmm. Is this masonite or uh, it's birch ply. The larger ones are birch ply. The small, some of the smaller ones are, um, you know, an archival uh, panel that they sell. I, you know, I build this, the stretchers, the supports on the back, but um, you know, I'm forgetting the name of the panel that I use. It's a commercial panel. Can you talk about why the panel and why the bare edge? I mean, it's feel a little more considered than just a stretch. Yeah, the, I mean, panel, just because I, I like that they're sturdy. I never got used to the give of uh, canvas. And for a while, I did some paintings where I just stretched canvas on panels, so I'd still have that canvas surface, and, um, you know, but I would have that you know, resistance. And then I just feel, realized I really just don't like the texture of the canvas, right? I mean, it's important you try as many things as possible. You know, I like how smooth the panel was. Um, that the canvas, for the kind of painting I was interested in doing, the canvas was interfering with the image that I wanted to create. So, panel was the perfect solution for that. And you know, the bare sides are, I, I just over the years found it's the best way to present a painting because you know, when I, when I make a painting, I'm living with the painting day in, day out for the time that I'm painting it, which could be from like two weeks to a couple months. Sometimes it's been a little bit longer. And it just seems really strange to me to put a frame on it after that, which wasn't part of those that month. You know, like you built the painting, you made the painting, you had this relationship with the painting, and then you put this thing on it that had nothing to do with that time. It just seemed like kind of crazy to me. Um, and I just, in previous to that, I of course I framed things, you know, as a student, and I got so involved in it, in fact, that I think it was a detriment like hurt the pieces and just, it, over frustration, it's like, why should there be anything? You know, this is how they are in the studio and this is how I'd like to see I them. I thought about that too. It seems like originally frames, other than decoration, it was a protective falls over. That's true. Especially with the canvas. There's a utility function there and, and I can appreciate it. I mean, Aaron Packer shop in Chicago He's always talking about the corners, the cor the corners, you know, especially with my paintings. <laughs> yeah, you and, you know, did, did you hear that? No, no, but I can imagine, yeah. These um, are delicate. So there is, there's that, you know, functional purpose that I can appreciate, but when they're up on the wall and, the, you know, I'm showing them, I don't want to deal with imposing something like that upon them. It changed the identity of the painting for me. Um, and having said that, I have just recently framed a couple things because it was a request to. 
know, so um, how, how did yeah, you do that? Yeah, what was your choice? Meticulously. So you I used like yourself. ash, straight grain, quarter sawn, so there's no, you know, uh, funky grain going on in the wood. It's all straight, um, no stain, just waxed them. Nice. Simple. They don't go over the image at all. There, there's a hollow between the image and the, the frame. So that, and I think if I were to have to frame more, that's how I would do it probably. The no stain, just like a wax, you know, sort of finish on. Just rub the wax off. Ash. So it's like oak, but even whiter, you know, so it's, it's yeah. I don't remember. I mean, I think it was like an inch piece, you know, and maybe it's like a half inch away from the painting. You know, it goes back at an angle and meets the back of the painting. Um, yeah, framing, you know. It's a crazy thing, and it's just, it's not going to go away. Well, it sounds like you're, you're pretty much maintaining the same general sense of the object in terms of that white edge and the wood. And, and yeah. Stuff. I tried, it's but it's still minimal, a frame. It's still there. And it's still, like, if you see these two, if we saw these two, and we were looking at them, mm -hmm. we could talk about, like, <laughs> what they've done to the paintings. Yeah, 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 it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. The difficulty with framing for your paintings points to the subject matter in a way that I think we should talk about a little bit here. Everything, everything in your paintings is in your studio. Right. And I mean, let, me, let me just make sure. I mean, every once in a while, something... You know, this Jeffrey's table is actually Jeffrey's table. Okay, he, you borrowed Jeffrey's table. Well, to... he he's a fan, uh -huh. and he's like, I got this table, <laughs> and he actually said he had two tables, and I said, well, I'm not, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I don't like to like. He's not the first person to, to want to try to give me something to, uh -huh. you know, to paint, and I just, to me, it doesn't seem like what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. It's not as personal. Yeah. It's not, it's not about going and finding junky things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, That's not what it is, you know. Yeah, what is it? It's it, just... It's, it's an appreciation for that, you know, situation for these objects to go through that stuff. I mean, that's definitely there in the paintings, and I, I feel that. Um, well, it's appropriate for the title. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's evidence of other people, other decisions, <laughs> other activity. You know, it's accumulation of all this time. Um, and we talked about this briefly last time I was here. Yeah. You know, before I you know, start painting these things, I mean, usually these are the things I'm at a pause in the studio and I'm maybe a little tired or done, done in the studio for the day that I find myself staring at, thinking about big things, you know, worldly, cosmic sort of things, which is kind of, and it's, it's, it is that patina on these objects that sort of, I think, instigates that. It's just like I start thinking about time and, you know, who's lived here and why did they do that? And, you know, why, why did they do that? And just the history on the floors and... Um, a little bit of arranging your stillbox. It's very simple with arranging. Just put it in the center. I mean, the thing is, is I think, if anything, like, critical-wise, people, you know, We'll look at it, and it's like, why don't you do something other than stick it in the center, <laughs> you know? Um, but for me, it seems really contrived to do anything else. It's the subject. It's the thing that I'm, you know, going to do a painting of, and 
if I start to do a little of this or shift it over there and add something, what am I doing then? I'm doing some kind of art school exercise of trying to make a good composition. You know, I've decided on the same as, as a subject, and it seemed like the most straightforward thing to do is put it in the middle. I have to, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say your turquoise table that was in the thingy last year. Yeah. Boy, that just struck me. It was, we love this one. Oh. Yeah. But we might want to see it here. <laughs> no, but the person that has that table, um, she, she lives in Davenport. And it's quite off-center, really. It's not the center. Oh, really? Is it, is it off-center? It's <laughs> off to the side. I think it, it might it's look like it's off to the side because it was built so poorly. <laughs> <laughs> the table yeah, was built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The table was built so, yeah. table was built so poorly. Like, <laughs> it, it really was a hodgepodge whoever threw that thing together. And yet, there were very specific decisions being made about that table painting the top blue, leaving that skirt around it with whatever kind of you know, linoleum sort of pattern and add on it. The legs is just two by twos that you know, are not straight at all. Um, just like a single nail at the top to hold those. Things. You know, <laughs> the thing was super wobbly and just. Do you own that table? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean that would, that table was given to my wife and I a number of years ago, and you know, it's, it, I don't know how old it is. It comes from my grandma Sarah. Yeah, and I mean that would be my guess. Really speaks to me. Yeah, you recognize it. Mm. Yeah. I recognize it. You do? Yeah, yeah, I've had chains, yeah. You've had a couple of incidences like that. Because I've always been curious about how that happened, actually. You never actually see when it happens. You just have it. It's just there, you know. Yeah, so doesn't it require moisture for it to do that as well? I think it's a moisture thing, but it could be a, 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 a mold or a humidity. I'm not sure. Just, yeah, not completely damp, but... There's some moisture. I've in never the shade. actually seen how it happens yeah. that it gets. You there. haven't like like looked at your layup and been like, wow. I still like, like spilled my soda like, all over it. It was yeah. just it was always there and you accept it and you turn it to the back yeah. maybe or you know when people come over. But, uh, but I've I've been curious because it's like a water stain. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's been burned. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. Desiccated out. The moisture's been desiccated out. Yeah. And the glue change the glue changes. Yeah, because that, that, that bubble on the side, too, how it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's pushed yeah, out yeah, yeah. towards the top. Yeah. You know, and I'm so familiar with it because I've been up there with a brush, like, trying to get it. Mm -hmm. and, I never yeah. would have thought to try to paint that, but the lamp that's hanging above my bed has that kind of Got a flaw lamp shape. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It shows right in the TV. So I had to turn it off when I'm watching television to <laughs> see it in the TV. But yeah, that your the era is something. Yeah, I think because of that table, maybe it speaks more to a specific area era than some of the other things. You sure do pick up how something is shiny, so shiny. You know, people really like that. I think that they're really well, impressed. With, they're like really impressed with how well like shiny things. Yeah. I like that outlet cover that's peeking out there. <laughs> and the screws and the drywall nails popping out of the nether paintings. Those little subtle. You really, your glasses really do pick up a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, I like how it's it's had multiple different handles on it over time. Yeah. 
And the standard for how, how far apart to have those mm -hmm. screws hold those handles have changed over the years. Yeah, you can't get it as narrow anymore. It's like, it's, it's like four inch spread or something. Maybe it's three inch. I think it's four. So, um, was there a point where, before this, you were making paintings of a different subject matter and you, you reached a crisis? I, these paintings no. seem to be like, you, you had to discard no, everything. I'll show, you, I'll show you in my, yeah. uh, you know, if, you, if you're here for the presentation. It's been, like, uh, I've been interested in the same thing for a long time. I think what you're talking about, this, like, coming to a head sort of crisis moment, happened when I was an undergrad. Okay. When and you're I, trying to... And I was thinking about grad school, and I was thinking about, you know, what am I going to do, looking at what I had done, like, what am I going to do to get into grad school? Yeah. I want to go to grad school for pain. Yeah. I want a few more years to figure this out, but they have to let me in. I need to make and competition something. is is high, and yeah. so what am I going to do? And I remember thinking about that for weeks. And I didn't have a lot of time. Before you applied. Yeah. So I think I had like three months, three and a half months or something like that. So you were... I was sweating. Yeah, you were a senior in, under, in undergrad, graduate. Right. And you wanted to apply. Yeah. So it's actually before graduation because the applications are in... Right. Some of them in December, right. January. Right, right, right. Mid, Midway through the year. And freaking out and, and uh, that's when maybe the crisis thing happened. And that's when I learned how to paint, really. And, and that crisis, I, I'm just purely imagining this, but it's like you had to discard everything else and you had to take you had I mean, to what take it was process. is I was thinking, you know, I was thinking, um, especially from what I had been looking at and listening to my instructors and everything, that what I was doing had to be really profound. Mm -hmm. You know, really profound. Weight, weighty ideas. Socially, you know, not prescriptive, but socially um, aware. Engaged. Engaged. Yeah. Um, you know, like, it's this a bad, like, sort of, you know, like, history painting, you know, historically. Like, that level only today, that's that's what I felt like. That's exactly I had. what I was imagining, that you were trying to make some epic history oh, yeah. painting, and you know? And it was just like, and it, it just, <laughs> you know, it's sort of, uh, I just felt the futility of that, like, really. Where did you study? Um, undergrad was uh, Northern Michigan University. In grad school? Syracuse University. So are you saying then that in a few weeks you whipped out no, I enough said, work? No, like, I sat down and I, um, I thought, I mean, I don't know exactly my thinking. I'm projecting all this from me now. But thinking about, you know, these big, grand, important paintings that I was going to make mm -hmm. um, and having really no idea what those paintings were going to look like or be about, I think I just went in the complete opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And thought, you know, what if I, you know, do a painting of my bathroom door, mm -hmm. which isn't about really, you know, any of those grander themes. Yeah. It's not about nothing, but it's not about any of those things. Right. And I just thought, you know, like you see the toilet in the painting. I mean, I was really, I thought, you know, who's painted the toilet? Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah, you would recognize it. I mean, I hope that I'm better. And what I'm doing, but you would recognize it for sure. Huh. Um, yeah. I mean, it was on paper, I think. 
Yeah. I would stretch the paper over a panel. Um, struggling with presentation stuff. Like, if you saw that, we'd still be probably talking about presentation things. But, but I remember, like, you know, it was a white door. Everything was no great, great amount of color, uh, pretty neutral. And spending nights just trying to make that painting what I thought it should be and learning how to paint. And that got you to Syracuse. What's that? And that got you to Syracuse. Yeah, it did. I mean, it and I think I had 10 other paintings like it. And then, you know, maybe some filler stuff like, you know, figure drawings things like that. I mean, it was, I, I was, it was a pinch. I mean, I, I knew that it was like, I have some really good stuff in here, but it's not 20 stellar paintings. And since then, it's just, it's, it's been so natural. The subject is, has not really been an issue for me. It's the painting. It's the technical, it's, it's you know, developing these rules for myself. Um, but it sounds—it sounds like that was a revelation in some weird way. Like, yeah, it was it a revelation be... because I, I thought I'm not really interested in doing those sort of big epic paintings. That's not where my mind is. That's not what I'm—that's not what I'm thinking about. Um, so, did you already talk about what the rules are? We talked about some technical things, like you know, when you're making a painting in terms of perspective and how accurate you are to what you see. I use black if I want to. When I was in my first university painting class, it was like in the early 60s, black and white. Black was Yeah. What do I have to say about black, Kevin? Kevin and Sarah were students of mine. You have to mix it yourself. You can mix it yourself. Yes. But, but I, I do use there. it. Well, I don't always grade. mix it. I don't always mix it myself. I do use it, and uh, the problem with a student using it, though, is that they can't stay away from it. <laughs> they want a darker blue, black, right? Darker yellow, black. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> no, and then it just becomes this like really muddy, terrible yeah. painting, you know. And so if you can get them to start without using it, it's a crutch for everything. Um, then I, I don't know, then you get a license to use it yeah. if you want. Right? Yeah, I you use know, black now. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I haven't told you that before. <laughs> so you're teaching now? I am teaching. I mean, the, the, they have long graduated. They uh, kind enough to come up here. And, and where do you teach? I teach at Western Illinois University. Oh, you do? That's yeah. a great group over there. Yeah. 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 It's about an hour and 40 minutes, if you're not speeding. You know, do it a little faster than that. In that and you may talk about this in your lecture, but how, how would you say your, your brand of uh, painting fits into contemporary painting? Uh, I think I'm, I'm really comfortable with where it fits in. I think I'm on the fringe. Uh -huh. You know, just like a lot of representational painters, you know, um, I don't think I fit in that group that are, you know, tackling big questions about the identity of art. Um, you know, I see a lot of art now that really looks like journalism to me too. Um, 
I'm big fans of all kinds. I, I love abstract painting. You know, I'm not narrow in that way, but I realize like my painting, the things I enjoy, it's not necessarily, I mean, maybe enjoy is the wrong word. The thing I'm interested in um, exploring in my work, I see other people interested in as well. And there's a, there's, like a, there's a ton of people and groups out there that are dealing with perceptual painting, you know, painting from direct observation. Um, and historically, there's people like Uglo, there's people like um, uh, Antonio Lopez Garcia, Spanish realist. You know, they're still alive, they're still working, they're recognized, but they're not in that main canon that gets all the attention, you know. People look at representational painting and think it's like, um, you know, it's dead, you know, there's not much else to do with it. Uh, but I see the opposite, I see it blowing up everywhere, you know, and now, um, now more than maybe in the last 10 years, I'm seeing, I'm seeing it everywhere. You know, good representational painting, stuff that is even getting attention. Um, but I would say where I am is the fringe. No, uh, I'm not going to be at the Whitney Biennial, and I've come to terms with that. Like, and you know, often I mean, you know, honestly, often walking out of the Whitney Biennial, I felt okay about that. You know? um, as much as I love the Whitney, they got a great new building, great collection. I've seen stuff at the Biennials that's blown my mind, but I've also seen other other things as well. Um, so I kind of know where I am with it, you know, and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm comfortable, I've got ambition, I want, you know, uh, I want more exposure, I want funding, you know, I want, uh, I want more time to just work on painting, uh, but at the same time, I don't feel like, I think intellectually, like, if I want to play the game, I'm capable. Of jumping in the ring and doing some work that pose as being um, maybe more conceptual, more idealistic, more socially engaged. Um, but my heart wouldn't be in it. I, I feel like I'm playing a game instead, you know. And what I'm really interested in is, um, you know, these spaces and things that sort of kind uh, of blow my mind about the material world and like what I'm doing here and how brief it's going to be and that I'm doing this kind of painting. That's like, we've had this, we had this conversation last time I was here, you know, talk about doubt, man, loads of it, loads, you know, I, you know, painting a floor and it's not even a nice one. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's all messed up and that's what I like about it. So talk about like internal dialogue, man, you know, and it's such a rich dialogue too. You know, it's so rich. Um, and like I said, these bigger questions come into it, things that I don't necessarily think about when I think about pop culture, you know, when I'm being entertained and really enjoying being entertained, you know? Like, um, this is slow. It's a much different kind of activity. And I think in a way, you know, I hope in a way that that slowness translates to people coming and look at the show. They recognize these things, these types of things, but they're going to look at it differently. 
I don't know if they're necessarily going to put them, themselves in my place and think about it the way I think about it, but it's going to have an impact on them. It's in that direction, I think. Mm -hmm. It becomes a meditation. Your meditation becomes a meditation for the viewer. Yeah, it's a type of meditation, I think. I mean, it's... Um, I mean, you know, it gets, it gets complicated because we could talk about the act of painting. And is that meditation? It's work. It's hard. And it's, um, it's almost like mission impossible sometimes when you're thinking about what's ahead of you. Uh, but the, the, the initial act of like looking at these things and becoming aware of them in a new way that makes me want to paint them, that definitely goes back to this, you know, sort of broadening your awareness, slowing things down, thinking about big, bigger questions. Um, so, do you think this body of work has a message? I mean, I see something. What is it that you were trying to say? I think it, you know, a lot of it has to do with appreciation for these things, but, and I, I like the, I want to be on the hook for this question, you know, and I don't want to give you the standard which is anybody can think anything they want about it when they come in here, and whatever they think is great, right? I mean, wouldn't that be a nice way for me to like get out the back door? But uh, I've run into that before. Yeah, but I think what I just said is probably the best thing I can tell you is I, I can't account for what they're going to perceive here, but I think that it does, it will demand the, their attention of these things. It, in a little bit more of a direction of the way that I am experiencing these things in this world, even though I think my experience of, and this is like how it gets really complicated, my experience of these things has been incredibly influenced by painting. Like I wouldn't be thinking about this, these things in this way if I wasn't a painter. Wait, you wanna know what I see? Sure. Well, I'm an architect. Uh -huh. And so uh, architects know that there's been this reaction to 50 years of modernism of sterile glass and steel and aluminum stainless steel. Yeah. So, and at the same time, I see at this period of time a real appreciation for what the world is calling grunge. But it's really, it's like the age, the Marxist age and the layering of age that you, you see in Europe. But you, you, we don't have that much history in America. So I think we're really beginning to appreciate this because that that one tells a story. You can see where there was a stud wall that yeah. mass layers of painting and stuff like that, patching being done, and it, it speaks of age. That's what I see. So I really appreciate the, the texture and the age yeah. and the grunge. And yeah. I mean, what you're talking about, um, like what, you know, modern architecture, you know, Bauhaus influenced stuff, right. this kind of cold, clean look. Yeah. I mean, I think about that a lot when I see people renovating their homes and um, when I think, I mean, you know, the floors that you see in here that are from the home in Macomb that I had, they don't exist anymore because I had to refinish them to sell the house. Yeah. And when, when I'm refinishing them to make them nicer, and you know, painting the baseboards to make them nicer and putting new quarter around on the floor. I I have a real philosophical debate in my head <laughs> about what's happening. I recognize that I'm making them better and they're gonna be appreciated by visitors and the homeowners. But at the same time, I'm thinking about how less rich of an environment it is. 
and how it's inviting, but it's like it's it's clean, you know, and how different of an experience that that is. Losing so much character. Yeah, it, you know, I haven't come to resolution with that, like to say one way or the other. I understand like why we want to make things nice. I have that impulse too. I have it too. But then also when you're trying to make it nice, it's never perfect, and you're kind of let down because it's not perfect. And, you know. Like I look at these paintings and these things too as sort of an embrace of like, you know, it reminds me of you know working on a blank, starting a blank canvas and all of the trepidation that goes with starting and you know, it just getting started, and instead of making just like you know one stroke and hands shaking, just like mess it all up yeah. first, you know, then you have something and then you could actually start to paint like you naturally should, versus being inhibited. But I haven't come to resolution. I do like, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated subject when you're talking about going into a nice um, room, a nice home, where everything is just so, everything has been like this gallery, right? It's like a really nice floor, nice space, versus, you know, a home that maybe 10 different people have lived in and left something of themselves in there. Decisions, paint, um, shoddy paint jobs, like completely, just wrap it fast, get it done as quick as possible, you know, paint jobs. And the, the thing I struggle with in my mind is I appreciate something about it. It's not the fact that they did it shoddily, it's just like as a record or yeah. something. Well, it's this new American pathway towards perfectionism. Everything has to be perfect. Yeah. And so, so uh, this is... It's like I can't live, but I, I, did, I, I do realize like I can't live in one of those like I live in an old factory now. And yeah. I love it because, you know, it's so much like every design thing in there wasn't original. I mean they built like a loft out of it. And they imposed this loft idea onto an industrial space that I love. I just love it. Nothing's perfect, so everything's off new, a little bit. Your new subject matter. Yeah, the floor. I mean it says turn around painting cards. That's the floor in the in the new space, which is even more messed up than the previous floor. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a, I mean, it's a hodgepodge of patchwork and just like, and it's crazy decisions going on in that floor. It's an old warehouse. It's an old pulp and paper mill. So, have you used any glazing in your work? It's all, I never really glaze except, like, I talked about, you know, um, slapping down foam core onto the surface. Like, I'll take the end of the day medium that I have left in my little jar, and I'll, yeah. just, I'll pour it on the foam core, kind of move it around a little bit, and then slap yeah. it down. So there's some glazing that happens from that activity, but I never, like, set out to, I'm going to glaze this area now, you know, and then I'm going to glaze this. Like, that has a very specific look that I'm not interested in at all. Okay. It's like almost putting a film in front of the painting, like glass or something. Just, I'm, not, I'm not interested. Yeah, it's all it's all direct. There's medium in it, but it's all like it's opaque paint. Not real thick, but opaque. Do you use traditional oils or water miscible No, I just I just use um, I use gambling for the most part. Which oil just is a regular linseed, you know, binder. Uh, we we're at the end here in a minute, but um, 
I wanted to ask one more question, and, I, and you may have already answered it tangentially, but um, getting back to this uh, idea of um, moving, uh, painting about something other than the typical Whitney biennial subject, yeah. whatever that is, whatever the bigger art. recorded, right? Yes. And we have you on record saying you, you'll never be in the Whitney Biennial, so yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens, yeah. Um, I, I've seen many realist painters, and those paintings many times to me reflect a sense of conservative pretension, almost, in terms of the art world, in terms of uh, saying, I reject the, the contemporary art world. I'm holding on to the okay. traditional values. But yours don't do that. Yours have a sort, they don't project pretension. Uh, oftentimes, white men are realist painters. You know, I'll, I'll put that out there and just say it. And, and I'm a white man for the recording, yes. you know, so I can, I can say that. Um, but these don't have any of that. They don't have any of the conservative, let's get back to tradition, the tradition of painting, the truth of painting. They, they don't, there's this... Then, you know, the wider public, I mean, what you're talking about, like the art world will yeah. you know, that kind of painting. But I think in the, in the, in the broader public, right. popular culture, the people out there that... They see in their that daily true life, they, they see that kind of painting, this realist painting yeah. um, that you're talking about as the true art. As the true art. That's yeah. still, you know... And that's what they respect is how right. well you, the how art, well can you the supply can catalogs paint. will show yes. that and how yeah. well can you paint it whether it's exactly. a figure it's a still live or it's an interior exactly and that seems to be you know again for that general broader public right. um, the litmus test for like if you're Skill. a good artist or not which I it, which I that's can not agree is, is not true at all that right. it's, it's not the way to think about it in any way in fact I think one of the problems with representational painting is that there's so many people out there doing it so poorly yeah. And, and I'm, by saying that, I mean they're not thinking about what it is. That what it painting. really is, yeah. So there's like a comfort. There's a there's a whatever that crisis was before grad school. It seems like it led to this grounding for you and in rooting your painting in this observation and letting these discoveries happen organically through this process and becoming really comfortable with this subject matter and and. and it just projects more of an empathy versus a pretension. And I, I just, I found that... I'm glad that it does. Yeah. I mean, it's good to hear. I think if, the way you, if we had another hour to talk, I'd, th I'd want to go into Beckett and you describe Beckett and, yeah. and, and, and maybe existentialism and start saying, well, is there a relationship between I mean, these what you're, things? Because what you're starting to go into is pretty complex stuff. Yeah. We all and have we would, like, sit here and hash it out, <laughs> you know, and it, it's... Uh, I'd love to hear about it. Because it isn't just the subject. It's also, you know, why does it... I mean, why is it painted? And uh, why is it painted this way? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, there's, yeah, it, just gets, it would get heavy. Okay, well, to, to make it brief then, you're, you're sort of rejecting the, this, the socially engaged art world by, by making these paintings. There is sort of an act of, of rebellion, yeah, maybe. He retreated from that. He retreated you know, from it, maybe. I don't part of that, really. And I often am, am, you know, at odds with how sincere that even is. Much of it, yeah. It's very careerist a lot of yeah. times, yeah. I mean, they're good, solid moves. There's plenty of examples of that, <laughs> yeah. but, like, I just don't know if I want to be in that. Seems uh, fast. Camp. Yeah. You know, yeah. Does, does that re rejection or retreat also correlate to popular culture? You sort of suggested that you, you're okay with being entertained, say, 
Let's say you went to Avatar. You could go to Avatar and then you could go go back to your studio and paint. I mean, I just I just um, heard this interview with Terry Gross and David Foster Wallace, who you know is the writer. Mm -hmm. um, he's there's a movie out with him as mm -hmm. a character in it, uh, and there's some controversy around that. And I heard I just you know this is a little bit of a tangent, you know, from what you're talking about. But I, I heard him in the interview say he doesn't have a television because he can't stop watching it. Uh, right. And no, that, he got rid of the television because he he was sick one day in bed and decided to make a list of all the books he needed to read but haven't read. Mm -hmm. And like by page four, he's like, I gotta get rid of the television. <laughs> but his time. first his first impulse was maybe I could read these books while I watch television. <laughs> oh boy, that'd be tough. And for me, like when you're talking about that I admit that it's entertaining, yeah. it, it is, it yeah, so much is. And like, I didn't have a television for a long time because I, like David Foster Wallace, I had a problem with television. Mm -hmm. uh, I, would, I could just watch it. Absolutely. No matter what crap was on. Right. I mean, uh, All consuming. Yeah. And I have a television, but it's more it's more limited. Crap and um, commercials. But I got off on a tangent there. But no, no, really, it answers it really. Okay. It, it actually it really does. It's a it's a purpose yeah. that I'm I want I don't want to get caught up in that necessarily. Um, I mean, sometimes people refer to it as like hip painting or you know um, a lot of cultural references and you know. More than one thing happening in the painting, different styles of painting in the same painting. Mm -hmm. I've seen some of that that I can appreciate, mm -hmm. that, that I really like. Uh, but for me, I'm not, I'm, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Um, in a way, I have retreated from that. You have to empty it out. Yeah. Thank you, Brett Everhart. This has been Q&A recorded in the Cadditch Gallery at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. The Cadditch and Morrissey Galleries are located in the Galvin Fine Arts and Communication Center at 2101 North Gaines Street between Locust and Lombard. All content of this podcast is the exclusive property of St. Ambrose University, copyright 2017, and may not be utilized without expressed written permission.